This Week in Oklahoma Politics is sponsored by Oklahoma State Medical Association, physicians dedicated to providing and increasing access to health care for all Oklahomans. More on its vision and mission at okmed.org. For KOSU, I'm Michael Cross, and it's time for This Week in Oklahoma Politics, along with Republican political consultant Neva Hill and civil rights attorney Ryan Kiesel. State Question 820 legalizing recreational marijuana fails to get enough votes to pass. More than 61% of voters said no to the measure. Turnout was definitely an issue here as only about 566,000 votes were cast compared to more than 2.2 million registered voters, which comes out to less than 26%. Ryan, how are supporters feeling right now? Well, I mean, you can't win elections if your voters don't show up. And, you know, I'm not blaming the voters for that. I mean, this is it was a special election where folks aren't used to voting on March 7th. They just voted in in February. They've got more municipal elections coming up. They'd voted in November uh, and, you know, trying to get folks out to vote, even in, you know, we, we watched this November election where we had incredibly low turnout and there were, you know, tens of millions of dollars spent trying to turn out voters. And if you if you just can't get folks to show up, uh, you know, what happens is whenever, you know, on Election Day, the, the people that show up win. And and that's what happened. And, you know, I'm I'm incredibly disappointed. Uh, obviously, we worked very hard on this. I think the thing that I'm most disappointed about and the, the folks that I feel like I've uh, let down the most are the, the Oklahomans that remain in criminal jeopardy for small amounts of marijuana. And I know that uh, law enforcement and DAs want to tell Oklahomans that, People aren't being arrested, aren't being charged, uh, and having their lives upend- upended for small amounts of marijuana, but we know that's not true. 4,500 Oklahomans in 2021 were arrested for small amounts, uh, and 100,000 Oklahomans, according to a recent study, are using marijuana without a medical marijuana license. Each and every one of them are, are potentially guilty of a crime if they're arrested and caught. So you know, I think that the, the idea that we ended prohibition with 788 uh, isn't, isn't a real idea. We didn't. Uh, there's still a lot to do. Um, and the criminal justice component of this, which was really the cornerstone of, of State Question 820, um, is, is the part that I think a lot of Oklahomans agreed with. And we just continue to have to have that conversation, in particular with voters in rural areas. Um, you know, we, we tried our best to do that, but, uh, you know, it's, it doesn't mean we stop now. Uh, and so I think that you, you, you look at uh, there's going to be a lot of autopsies uh, of what happened in 820 over the next few weeks. You know, some armchair quarterbacking. But um you know, once we we've got some exit polling that we should get results from in the next couple of days. But, you know, the deal of that isn't to come up with excuses. It's to learn, get better and move forward. Neva. Well, and I think it's interesting. I mean, when we look at this, uh, we talked all along about turnout being the key issue mm-hmm. and how both sides appeared to be trying to target the natural audience uh, in each case, yes and no, to try to turn them out. I mean, when we look at the results, 77 counties all know. Don't um, remind me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think, but I think when you when you also take into account there were there were some interesting twists in the in all of this from a campaign standpoint. Uh, the no folks were outspent twenty to one. I mean, so it wasn't a it wasn't a case of who had more money. It was a case of I think voters clearly knew what they were voting on, and I think it will be interesting to see Ryan and some of that exit polling if it's if it's not a case of where many Oklahomans felt like uh, the the issue was already at hand that there was marijuana light as it's often mm-hmm. been dubbed uh, the fact that 400 for a hundred dollars and uh, um, 
you know, a note from the doctor, basically, uh, you can get a marijuana uh, license. So I think uh, the medical marijuana component of this, I think one of, the, one of the aspects going forward that I think will be front and center is from the legislator's standpoint, and one of the comments made by, the, uh, um, by Pat McFerrin of the No on 820 campaign uh, on election night was that it, a couple of things. He said that he felt like it sent a clear message that Oklahomans do oppose uh, unfettered access to marijuana, but uh, he also said that uh, it uh, was an opportunity to uh, look at some reforms by lawmakers and that these these results, frankly, uh, do give uh, the ability and perhaps some political cover to lawmakers to really bear down on the medical program aspect and maybe tighten tighten that up. I think there's conversations already going on this week at the Capitol among some lawmakers that um, there have been a number of bills, as we've talked about, that are uh, already related to still addressing how to how OMMA uh, is dealing with all of the various uh, aspects of, of, of what they do. And then we have Gettner Drummond, who I think put front and center with many uh, law enforcement officials across the state, the grave concern, not only rural Oklahoma, but all Oklahoma, you know, a vast majority of Oklahomans have in terms of from the public safety standpoint, addressing these issues with the black market and all of the um, all of the the crime side that is legitimate so I think it will be interesting to see and I think we can talk about it again when you see your results but uh, that's my takeaway as of uh, what we've seen right now of course I, you know we think we think at the a20 campaign that that would have uh, that more regulation would have been helpful to combat the black market looking at this legislation you know some of these legislators that are applauding the defeat of 820 and saying that we need to get the medical program under control um you know i think that if we look at some of the things that have happened with the medical program we went nearly three four years without any sort of a seed to sell tracking system in oklahoma that is a huge difference in other states and i think that it led to a lot of the, the chaos and the the feelings that the, especially rural oklahomans felt about medical marijuana in the state of oklahoma We've had that now in place now for less than a year, and I think that that's an important tool that regulators regulators need. And, and I'll say it again: OMA has done a fantastic job, especially over the last couple of years, of really moving forward. But some of these lawmakers have legislation that would take that seed to sale system that we've got in place right now and go right back and start from from the starting line. We we waited three to four years to get to the point where we've got this important regulatory tool, and now they want to start over again. I, I think that that would be an enormous mistake and a, and a and a terrible takeaway from State Question 820. We, we really do need, you know, greater regulation, greater enforcement. And then I think Oklahomans probably will be more comfortable talking about recreational marijuana. You know, and it's interesting, lawmakers in Colorado, which was the first state to legalize uh, recreational marijuana a decade ago, they're now, it, it's interesting in, in their work that they are really, appear to be trying to really apply the brakes to much of what they've done uh, because they have so many issues that uh, – have evolved on on the recreational side, and I think even states that are just with medical marijuana are seeing the same problems. So the the idea of uh, a a process of, uh, to deal with the industry, to regulate the industry, and to do the things that uh, from a government side need to be done, and from the public uh, side they want to see, I think this will be a front and center conversation now for quite some time. And the attorney general had actually mentioned that maybe we should look into to the justice reform part of state question 820. So maybe there is some hope that that'll be fixed. And, you know, I can tell you in our polling that the criminal justice components of state question 820 were the parts of the measure that 
outpolled everything else from the very beginning of the campaign. And I, I think that that's right. I think that a lot of Oklahomans across the board agree with that. I, the legislature can take this up today if they want to. Uh, and you know, I, I just hope that whenever they're thinking about you know, how do we get what we've got under control right now and, and have better justice uh, for those that are being arrested for small amounts of marijuana, that it's about you know, taking steps forward and not taking steps backward. We've made a lot of progress. OMA's made a lot of progress in the last year uh, plus, and we, just, we really need to encourage that. Gitner Drummond, right after he was elected, I think said something very wise. He said, we don't need more regulation necessarily in the industry. What we need to do is make sure that we have enforcement of the existing laws and help compliant legal businesses succeed because that is the best check on the black market. And, and I agree with that. And, you know, when we think about, I mean, 2,800 dispensaries, uh, that's more than anywhere in the country. I mean, that's 10 times. uh, California has 40 million people, and yet uh, they only have 1,000 dispensaries. So I think a lot of this information, as it got out there toward the end of the campaign and people were trying to decide where they were on the issue, um, I think many of these facts really uh, were overwhelmingly issues that they really, uh, they did not see, they did not see the the what you're saying, Ryan, in terms of legalization versus extracting out the criminal justice component, because it was all together. I mean, it was an all or nothing proposition. I think it, uh, you know, I think it uh, took away the uh, momentum if you had momentum on the criminal justice side, because the overarching question were these legalization issues. A new poll shows Oklahomans are virtually split on the legis- the legalization of sports betting. An Amber integrated survey of 500 likely voters finds 44% of respondents support legalizing sports betting with 48% opposed and 8% undecided. The news comes as lawmakers and Governor Stitt are discussing the issue. Neva, do you think this will impact any upcoming legislation? I don't think the polls will impact, but I think it is a conversation that's front and center that we will probably see potentially some action by the legislature. The governor certainly made it clear that that he favors this, that the tribes uh, uh, certainly are front and center wanting this conversation to move forward. Um, the poll itself, I don't think, was really a surprise. I mean, you, you, what you found was that it was the majority of independent voters and younger voters voters that support it, uh, that uh, uh, men supported it, uh, 52-40, I think it was. Women much more so opposed it. Um, but when you look at the other key element in terms of the, the demographics, a majority of folks over 60 oppose it. So, and these are your likely voters in any scenario that you, that you talk about and constituents that oftentimes are the most heard from by lawmakers. So I think in this conversation, it will be, it will be interesting. I mean, there's no question that uh, the Thunder owners and, and the tribes, I mean, there's been a conversation about uh, wanting a new arena. Obviously with a new arena, they would want sports betting. This is a new deal nationwide that we're seeing. So I think that this, uh, I think this conversation, the question will be, where will it land in the Senate? Because Pro Tem Treat has basically said that unilaterally it's not an issue he's that interested in. But if you want to put it in a package with some things he might be interested in, I think was really the context that it might it might uh, have some movement. So we'll see here um, how it moves forward in the legislature. If, if nothing happens this year, I certainly see the conversation continuing. I don't think it's going to go away anytime soon. Right. Well, there, you know, uh, of course, there are a lot of differences in this, and especially. If 
from the criminal justice component, but some of what we see out of this poll and some of the talking points reminds me of so much of what we were talking about with State Question 820. You, you had a Supreme Court decision that opened up the gates for states to have uh, legalized uh, you know, online betting that was re- uh, you know, regulated in the state and, and taxed in the state. Uh, and so we've seen several states do that now. Uh, and you have Governor Stitt and you know he says uh, you know that he, he wants to implement a similar system to maximize the profit or maximize the income for our education system or for our economic development or wherever we're going to designate those funds that come into the state. Well, that sounds a lot like what we were talking about with State Question 820. And the, the numbers here with uh, independent voters and younger voters being much higher to support. Same thing with State Question 820. But like you said, Neva, uh, especially those younger voters, not necessarily the registered independents, but uh, younger voters, um, if, if they don't show up to the polls, lawmakers aren't going to listen to them, even if they're in the majority. Uh, and that's, you know, that's kind of what we saw with State Question 820 is if you were under 50, uh, you know, we, we felt really good about having your vote. If you were over 50, uh, you know, we could still persuade you, but it wasn't, it wasn't as much of a certain deal. Uh, but, you know, who showed up on election night? And I think that lawmakers look at a poll like this with, with any sort of an issue, but online betting, you know, being the one front and center. And they're not going to say, oh, well, you know, this is, a, like you said, this isn't a, a do or die deal. Uh, and they know that those over 60 voters that are, you know, saying that they, they, they've got reservations about this, even if it would create and generate money for education or whatever that is, those are the voters that legislators probably listen to more in this case. Well, and I think this uh, this idea that uh, expansion of gambling, expansion of uh, legalization of marijuana, the the expansion component seems to fall on a lot of deaf ears and in, uh, in some of the surveys it, it would appear to me. And that is because if you've already got something expanding, it is really the issue. And I think in this instance, I mean, even though we've seen, I think in the last five years since the Supreme Court struck down that federal law, um, banning sports betting outside Nevada, that we've got 22, I think 22 states that have uh, tribal uh, gaming that have, um, you know, that have engaged in in this uh, conversation or have got online sports betting or in-person sports betting in their venues, whatever it happens to be. So again, it's a conversation about expansion. And uh, I think this will be something that the lawmakers, uh, I don't think they're going to rush to it. And I don't think the argument that it's just it'll get us more money is a very sellable point, or at least it doesn't seem like it based on the, what we've just seen even this week with the results uh, in, in the 820 election. Well, and the governor's negotiating on both sides right now. He's negotiating in particular with the Senate, but he's also negotiating with the sovereign tribes in the state of Oklahoma. So that's that that's in the background as well. Even if the Senate says green light, even if the, the House says green light, there's still a lot of uh, negotiation that has to happen between the state and uh, tribal governments. House Republicans censured Oklahoma City Democratic Representative Mari Turner. The GOP removed the state's only open non-binary lawmaker after they say they harbored a fugitive who had gotten into an altercation with an Oklahoma Highway Patrol trooper during an LGBTQ protest at the Capitol. Ryan, what happened here? Well, you know, let's state the obvious, uh, because I I think it it needs to be said. Uh, Throwing water or doing anything against any lawmaker is unacceptable, inexcusable. Uh, you know, period. I mean, that, that you know, I, I know that emotions run high, and in particular when you're talking about something that will directly affect the health care of a lot of the folks that were in that building protesting. I, I get it, um, but it's, you just, that's not, that's, we just can't do that, and I think it's inexcusable. So, uh, you know, that being said, this idea that Representative Turner harbored a fugitive, a fugitive somebody is somebody who's been accused of a crime. Uh, here we have law enforcement wanting to question somebody. Um, and, you know, was it the best decision for Representative Turner to, uh, to not open the door? 
you know, I think in hindsight, we can all sit and look at that. But a very human thing is, you know, people come running to you and they say that that they need help. Um, and the law enforcement weren't saying we've got a warrant. We're in pursuit of a criminal. Uh, they wanted to question somebody. Um, and, you know, questioning somebody doesn't get what you're wanting to question. Somebody doesn't give law enforcement the right to enter a private office. It doesn't give them the right to enter a private home. You know, I think to, you know, the, there are other members of the house right now that are accused of, of very serious crimes. And I'll say this as somebody who, you know, uh, defends the accused all the time, you know, being accused is not being convicted. And so I want to say this out at the outset, representative O'Donnell, for example, has been uh, indicted uh, on felony charges. You know, I'll stand by the fact that he is innocent until proven guilty until that ever happens, if it ever does. Um, but let's imagine that he was at uh, Speaker McCall's apartment. They shared an apartment together here in the city whenever they were in session. And the police knocked on the door and Speaker McCall answered it. And they said, we want to come in and question Representative O'Donnell. Uh, and they said, we don't have a warrant or anything like that. And Representative O'Donnell said, well, I don't want to talk to him. The Speaker could have you know, politely shut the door. I mean, that's, that's it. Um, I think that we have to look at what happened in that moment. This idea that uh, Representative Turner has done something illegal uh, is, you know, I, I think that that's a stretch. If they were going to censor uh, the the representative, my representative, and and remove them from committees, um, you know, that uh, you know, there should have been an investigation. Representative Kirby was the last member that was removed uh, from the uh, from committees or censored, and even then, he wasn't removed. Uh, from from committees, uh, he was just censored. There was an investigation first. Uh, this was all very uh, haphazard, and I've I've got very credible sources that have told me that uh, if Representative Turner had apologized before the uh, the motion to censor Representative Turner, um, that they were still going to move forward with it. So this, and, and I, that doesn't mean that Representative Turner would have then. I'm just saying that there was there were, there was an element of politics behind this that I think is uh, distasteful. Uh, and and regretful for the body, I, I hope that they reconsider. Neva, well, I think first of all, I mean, it is the it is the prerogative of the um, the speaker and the and the majority party uh, in these instances to move something like this forward. I think Speaker McCall was very uh, direct in what he said. He felt like uh, what had taken place was inappropriate. He said it was potentially uh, criminal actions exhibited by this particular member of the House. And he felt like it was deserving of censure. And he also made the point that he thought that the action was both both measured and just, I think were his, was his phrasing. Uh, so th- this, is, this was a party line vote. Uh, it was a statement made. Um, I think in the instance, you're right, Ryan, I think the concern, I mean, in, in the takeaway, kind of in the overarching look at this, is that we can't have this kind of activity escalate inside the Capitol or anywhere else. And so I think getting a handle on it, I think making it clear to everyone that uh, that this will not be tolerated. Uh, if people want to come into the building, there is a way to act, properly act. It, there is decorum and a way for members to act. And so, um, you know, we can disagree on uh, whether or not uh, someone thinks it's appropriate or inappropriate. But I think the other thing to mention is the fact that this is censures and reprimands are something that rarely occur in the legislature. This is not something that's just frivolously tossed about and happens every other day. In fact, in the House, it was uh, 2011 was the last time that we saw any kind of action like this. And on that, you know, there was a particular day in March and two two, uh, reprimands took place on the same day to two Republican members. And uh, the one prior to that, I think... uh, 
that same year, again, was a third Republican uh, member legislator. So um, on the Senate side, we've seen equally uh, very measured uh, uh uh, censures or reprimands uh, being being handed down. And I think uh, in the instance on the Senate side, I think I remember that was back in uh, several years ago, uh, just a few years ago, when the Senate formally uh, censured one of the Republican members again, uh, who was, uh, uh, it was shortly before he resigned and ultimately pled guilty and is now serving a prison sentence. So uh, I think I think there is seriousness behind this. And I think uh, everyone can have, you know, have their, their turn to say what they will. But bottom line is, I would hope that through the remainder of this session that we don't see any other similar incidents in the hallway with with highway patrol with the uh, members uh, take place yeah well and i think that if we're going to see this very serious thing that the censure take place there needs to be an investigation and there needs to be committee work uh to look at that because it is an extraordinary step by the by the body against one of its own members a discussion between an oklahoma state senator and tv personality has gone viral Broken Arrow Republican Nathan Dom talked about gun control with Jon Stewart on his Apple Plus show. Uh, the exchange, which also touched on the opioid crisis and voter registration, has drawn millions of viewers online. Neva, this is a question from my wife. <laughs> Why would anyone do an interview like this? <laughs> well, because uh, I think uh, because we're talking about the person that did the interview. And uh, I mean, it's not his first time. I mean, several years ago, he did a similar uh, interview with Pierce Morgan when he was a CNN host. I mean, uh, he knew exactly what he was doing. It's interesting. There was no real drama to this. He talked about after the fact with one of the Tulsa television stations about the fact that he basically enjoyed did, thought that uh, it was a it was a very uh, cordial uh, conversation. I mean, they spent an hour and a half to get uh, what was it nine minutes for the episode. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is t- this is uh, what you get with this uh, Apple TV uh, program. I mean, the problem. Um, I mean, he's looking for a problem. He's looking to have the banter. Uh, Nathan Dom was looking to have the exchange, and I think by any account, based on his own words, uh, he enjoyed that. Uh, did anybody did anybody have their mind changed, or did anybody pay close attention to that banter? I doubt it. But again, uh, the upshot is here we are talking about Nathan Dom being on uh, the John Stewart TV show. Well, and, and Neva, I think that that's exactly right. Nobody had their mind changed over this deal, and and a lot of it's confirmation bias. Uh, uh, you know, uh, entertainment confirmation confirmation bias on both sides. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. you know, John Stewart knew that if he has somebody like Nathan Dom on, that you know, all the things that Nathan Dom you know says on there, it's like, well, that's kind of tame compared to what we've heard him say here in Oklahoma. This is, you know, we yeah. But anyways, I, you know, I think that uh, you know the idea that you know that this is was going to change anybody's mind. Now, John Stewart knew he brings Senator Dom on and Senator Dom's going to say things that are going to rile up uh, the people that, you know, John, watch John Stewart's show. Uh, you know, and I could see on my Twitter feed, you know, all of my, you know, Democratic and, and uh, you, know, you know, more left-leaning friends uh, on Twitter, you know, saying, oh my gosh, you know, you know, Senator Dom got destroyed by John Stewart. And I'm sure if you looked on, you know, more right-leaning media, you probably saw, you know, John Stewart got uh, owned by Senator Dom. You know, everybody, it's confirmation bias for everybody. For Senator Dom, he went viral in this deal. I mean, his, I, I imagine that his uh, profile now, uh, you know, nationally uh, on, on these issues is probably higher than it was before he did it. And, you know, people can look at it and say, oh, it was a mistake for him to go on there. I, I think that, um, you know, when, when you are trying to raise your profile in this day and age, 
Um, it, you know, you know, what is it? All, all, all press is good press. Uh, you know, all, all virility is good virility. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know what the, the new saying is, but that's what he got out of this. Everybody got publicity. John Stewart got views and, uh, Senator Dom got views and, and everybody's yeah, exactly where we were on the gun control debate beforehand. And these talking heads, I mean, they have to have a lot of warm bodies sitting down uh, having these conversations to keep these shows alive and moving. And when you think of how many of them there are, I mean, it continues to just explode in terms of the numbers, podcasts, uh, the, uh, the TV shows, and, and all of the other just regular news programming beyond that. So, uh, yeah, it's a niche. He likes it. I mean, he's been unapologetic about that. And so uh, will we see more of it? Probably. And uh, I, think, uh, I think you're right, Ryan. I mean, it's, uh, it's, just, it's just an opportunity to have banter and continue to keep big conversations alive but not really change anybody's opinion. Oklahoma is mourning the death of a man who founded one of the state's most iconic businesses, Tom Love, who created Love's Travel Stops with a simple gas station in Watonga in 1964, died earlier this week at the age of 85. Several state elected officials released statements on their condolences on Tuesday. Ryan, how do you think Tom Love will be remembered? Well, I think the, the biggest thing about Tom, Love, uh, about Tom Love is that he kept his business right here in Oklahoma, and not just in Oklahoma. Uh, he didn't move it downtown. He didn't build a, an enormous skyscraper. Uh, you know, no offense to the folks that built enormous skyscrapers. <laughs> uh, uh, but, you know, he, he didn't do any of that. He, he stayed in the village, uh, and they, they slowly expanded their operation there. And that's still where Love's operation is right now. It's, it's in the village, uh, you know, this, this small municipality, uh, you know, adjacent to Oklahoma City, and you know that's where this you know, enormous company with a footprint in I don't know forty plus states at this point uh, is based out of that. To me, that's the uh, that's the coolest thing about you know about his business and his ethos was I'm gonna I'm gonna keep this local uh, and we're gonna grow it, we're gonna get big, uh, we're gonna expand. But at the end of the day, uh, I'm gonna stay in my neighborhood. Neva, and and that's exactly right. What a tremendous giant! Uh, not only in entrepreneur in entrepreneurial terms, but just in terms of his legacy in Oklahoma. He and his wife Judy of 62 years, uh, their four children and multiple grandchildren, great grandchildren. I mean, it is a true legacy. And uh, let's remember that Loves is the tenth largest privately owned company in in America. I mean, that's that's an amazing statistic. And when you think about even last year, uh, I think it was in the fall that they opened up their 600th location and had uh, a lot of fanfare related to that. They've branched off into many other uh, enterprises. But the but the takeaway I think for many is the fact that this is a family who constantly focused on giving back, giving mm-hmm. back to their employees, giving back to the community. Uh, their philanthropy is uh, legendary. It's uh, the list is exhaustive and so many lives have been uh, immeasurably impacted by the contributions of this family so uh, I think it is fitting that uh, all Oklahomans uh, pause this week and really uh, consider that uh, we've had such extraordinary men and women who have uh, given so much and have been pioneers not only for uh, Oklahoma but for the nation itself so uh, uh, I think uh, our, you know, my thoughts and prayers go out to the Love family, and certainly I think um, uh, this is this is a family who uh, whose legacy will continue through Judy Love, through mm-hmm. the children, mm-hmm. and and beyond. And I think uh, all Oklahomans can be grateful for that. Yeah. yeah, I think I've lost count of the many times I've gone out to the Loves 
headquarters to they're giving a check to somebody to help out in some way or another. It's, it's, it's an amazing legacy for him. It's ubiquitous. And I think a lot, a lot of people associate it with Oklahoma. Uh-huh. Yeah. Ryan and Eva's comments do not necessarily reflect the views of KOSU, its staff or management programs like this are made possible through support from KOSU members who are listeners like you consider a gift to KOSU in support of this week in Oklahoma politics at donate.kosu.org. This Week in Oklahoma Politics is sponsored by Oklahoma State Medical Association, physicians dedicated to providing and increasing access to health care for all Oklahomans. More on its vision and mission at okmed.org.